Hey everybody, it's Lance. We are continuing our line-by-line -line study through the Gospel of Mark. I'm so great that you're watching this episode. If you're picking up right here for the first time ever, that's great. Or if you're continuing from the very first verse, I'm just thankful that you're with us. We're in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 28. Let's jump right in and then I'll stop and do a little bit of explanation. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is, and now here's in italics because he's quoting from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Israel, listen, our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, if you're following along in a hard copy of your scripture, I just want to point out that those things that Jesus just said were italicized, and he's quoting from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Your Bible will probably have a note at the bottom of the page that probably attached to a superscript letter that explains what that's from. And you'll see it's from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, and then again from Genesis chapter 38, verse 8, and then that second commandment is from Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, and then verses 15 through 16. So I just want to give a little bit of a context here. Remember that Jesus is now at the temple. He's at the center of the Jewish life. And he's speaking to people who are religious experts and authorities. And when they're asking him questions, they're typically doing so from a really uh, confrontational position, right? They're not asking for his help. They're trying to trick him or trap him. So that's an important thing to remember. We've been talking about that a lot from, uh, from verse through verse. Now, one of the things that's also true is that this prayer that he prays, that he recites, is called the Shema. It's how it's pronounced in, in Hebrew. It begins with Shema Israel. It means listen Israel or hear O Israel. And this is a prayer that Jesus and all fellow Jews would have said every single morning. It's something that they would have recited as part of their daily life. Kind of like many uh, committed Christians recite the Lord's Prayer on regular occasions, not just in worship, but also as a part of their devotional life. So one of the things that Jesus is doing is actually deeply connecting his teachings to the established Jewish tradition. Does that make sense? He's making clear how connected he is, how he's emphasizing the inherited truth of the religion of the people with whom he's speaking. So that's a really important point to know. He's not all just tearing down. He's emphasizing and focusing on the truth that's right in front of so many people. It's also important to understand that the legal expert that he's speaking to here would have been a person who studied Torah, the Hebrew Bible, incredibly closely. And there would have been hundreds of case laws and regulations and, and things you would have had to do in order to be a faithful and observant person in good Jewish standing. And what Jesus is doing is taking that very full and very complicated list of rules and regulations and vastly, vastly, vastly simplifying it. It's not about all this incredibly difficult stuff that you're tying yourself in knots over, he said. It's Israel, listen, our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So one of the things that Jesus is trying to do is take something that has become very complicated and make it very simple. So if you're discussing with other people, if you're watching this with the Bible study group like so many are, if you're just listening by yourself as you're walking the dog on a podcast, this is a great place to pause, to reflect. In what ways has religious observance become overly complicated in the world in which you live? 
And which point has the main thing no longer been the main thing, and instead so many small things seem to be taking up energy and time of maybe not yourself, but others around you. In what ways has loving the God with all your mind and all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all of your being and loving your neighbor as yourself not been the greatest commandments that are being observed? Just reflect on that because that's the real waters in which we live. And I think Jesus would say the same thing to us. Okay, so how is this responded to? Something a little different than normal happens when Jesus says this. Verse 32, the legal expert said to him, Well said, teacher, you have truthfully said that God is one and there is no other besides him. And to love God with all the heart, a full understanding, and all of one's strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more important than all kinds of entirely burned offerings and sacrifices. So what this man points out is that that's right. This orientation of heart and life is more important than all of these purity regulations and all of these sacrificial systems that have built up in the Jewish faith. When Jesus saw that he had answered with wisdom, Jesus said to the man, you aren't far from God's kingdom. After that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. I just want to pause because that's not how most of these interactions are going. Most of these interactions are an attempt to catch Jesus, Jesus twisting their words around, them going away overwhelmed or frightened or ashamed. For the first time ever, this is someone who goes, yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I see how that makes sense. It's someone who's actually hearing and responding to what Jesus has to say, even though he's in a position of authority, deeply invested in this previous system and understanding of what it was to be faithful to God. And so what does Jesus say to him? You're not far from God's kingdom, which means you're not far from really getting this. You're not far from really living in the truth of what I've come to proclaim and understand. Even though you're, you are so deeply invested in something else and something other, you're not far from truly getting it. I just want to point out what good news that is. What good news it is that no matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done or have left undone, truly understanding this importance, loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, all your being, etc., and loving your neighbor as yourself, understanding that, prioritizing that, and living into that, that's what it's all about. And so I find that refreshing. Do you find that refreshing? Pause, reflect, right? If, if one of the things that I'm really big on is trying to take the big, complicated message of the gospel and of the faith in Christ and what it is to be a good person and to live in relationship with God, and are there just some main things we can hold on to? Well, Jesus gives us something very important right here. So as you pause and reflect on that, one last bit that I want to read today, and this gets a little bit more complicated. So hang in there with me, right? If we just had something very clear and simple, well, we're going to go in a bit of a different direction. Verse 35, while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he said, why do the legal experts say that the Christ is David's son? David himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right side until I turn your enemies into your footstool. David himself calls him Lord, so how can he be David's son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Okay, a little bit more complicated and a little bit harder to pull out than just love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself, right? A little bit more difficult, but let me try to explain. So remember, Jesus is talking again at the temple, and he's talking now to really big gathered crowds. And he says, why do legal experts say that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one whom God will send to complete God's purposes, why do they say that that's David's son? 
right? And so you got to remember that one of the things that has been made clear in God's promises to David is that through David's lineage, God will continue to bless all of creation, right? Not just the nature of Israel, but this is going to be the completion of promises made to Abraham, etc. These are long, wonderful sources of Bible study that go beyond just Mark's gospel. So, one of the things that they're pointing out is that this Messiah, this anointed one, is going to come from the lineage of David. That's true. And remember, one of the things that's made clear to us in genealogical accounts of Jesus is that Jesus is related to Joseph, right? The man married to Mary. And it's through him that he's born in Bethlehem. That's David's city. That's his connection. He is a part of the house of David. He does fulfill that messianic expectation. But there's also something that's true in their worldview that says the son would be a successor, but also maybe lesser than the greater. Does that make sense? Maybe lesser than David. He's a son, which means it's important, but his authority is still lesser than David's. And so that's something that he's trying to point out. The Messiah is actually going to be greater than David. Does that make sense? It's going to be part of David's heritage, part of his lineage. He's going to be his son, but not his son in a reduced way, meaning his power will be greater. And in doing so, he quotes Psalm 110. You're going to see that written in italics if you're reading in a hard copy of the Bible. He quotes 110 verse 1, a psalm written by David. Right, And a psalm written by David, that's not only talking about his son Solomon, but Jesus is pointing out, also talks about the fulfillment of messianic expectations. All of this to say, where do you take this, right? How do you take this and make it a part of your life when you're living, where you're living and and involved in the world that you're in today? How does this become a part of your faith? Here's what you need to take away from it. Jesus is not God's plan B, right? Jesus is not God's plan B. It has been working towards the incarnation, the presence of Jesus, his teachings, his crucifixion, and his resurrection from the very beginning. This is not God's plan B. It's God's plan A. And one of the things that Jesus is helping us to do and subsequent New Testament writers help us to do is understand how the story of Jesus fits together and completes and fulfills and expands what the people of Israel have been hearing and learning from God from the very beginning. And that's one of the things that takes place here. So, pausing, discussing amongst yourself or just reflecting while you're by yourself, what does it mean that Jesus is not God's plan B? The plan A. Sometimes people think about Jesus as, well, God tried to save all of humanity through all these rules and regulations, etc., but that didn't work, so we had to have Jesus. Well, no, that's not true. The creation of the nation of Israel was creating a community that would begin to understand who God is, into which God could become incarnate. What does it mean that God's great plan has always included the incarnation, it's always included the crucifixion, it's always included the resurrection, and it's always included you? and your restoration back to God. What does that mean? Okay, finishing up today. Verse 38, as he was teaching, he said, watch out for the legal experts. They like to walk around in long robes. They want to be greeted with honor in the markets. They long for places of honor in the synagogues and at banquets. They are the ones who cheat widows out of their homes and to show off, they say long prayers. They will be judged most harshly. Okay. Let's remember that in the midst of Jesus's ministry, he has a lot of criticism for a number of people. And one of the greatest is the people who have been entrusted to the faithful leadership of others. The people who've been trusted with leading other people to understand God, to connect with God, to love God, and to receive God's graces and blessings in their life. And those people, also human and fallible, have taken those gifts and those positions 
and use them for themselves and not for others, right? And even believing themselves to be faithful while doing so. And he makes it very clear what he thinks about that. So the question I have for you is, is does this just apply to me, right? Does this just apply to a guy who wears robes, right? And a person who leads worship in the community and things like that? Or is there something else? Is it to a broader community of people than just those who have been ordained? Maybe instead of answering that question for you, I'll let you think about it. And what do you think Jesus would have to say? Friends, I love going through the Bible with you. I love going line by line through the Gospel of Mark with you. Go back and pick up from the beginning, or I'll just see you next episode. God bless, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.